The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hi. John, didn't you have like Cindy Lauper or something a few weeks ago? That, that was better. Um, my daughter Liz was probably only like three, I don't know, she was, she was tiny. And she figured out that she could reach the doorknobs, which that's always fun if you have kids. Luann's going like this, so she was two, just for the record. She, she could reach the doorknobs, and we had on our back door out to our back patio um, a doorknob that wasn't so much a knob as a lever. She could touch the doorknobs, but she couldn't get a grip and turn the doorknobs. But she could touch the lever and pull down and open the back door and go out into our patio, and she could go out into our backyard, which did not have a fence, which meant she could walk out into the front yard, which meant that she could walk out into Fifth Avenue, which would not be a good situation. And so Luann, because she's a mom that loves her children, she says to Lizzie, you may not go out the back door. And Lizzie, because she was two, looked at her mother and said, but I can. And so Luann got down, because she's a mother that loves her children, and she said, you may not go out the back door. But I can. And Lizzie wanted to argue because she knew that I can. And she, she had this mentality that I have the ability to do that, so that means I can. I got a phone call later that afternoon saying, um, when you get home, come through the front door because I took the handle off the back door and the replacement doesn't fit because we live in an old house where nothing is built to the right code anymore. Because we had to somehow limit her capacity to get out the back door because that was not a safe situation. And so we got a door that had a knob or a door knob to replace the door handle. It was much more appealing to parents who want their kid to stay in the house unless they're out there with them. We're, we're a lot like that a lot of times. We, we hear these rules and we think, but, but I can. We've spent the last couple months talking about the Ten Commandments and then transitioning from the Ten Commandments to what we're going to be doing in a couple, like the next several weeks, will be a series through the book of Ephesians where we get to see what that church did with what Jesus had to say about the Ten Commandments and what he taught about how we live our lives And we've been talking a lot about really participation in the kingdom of God and how those rules relate to that and how putting that law into action relates to being a part of the kingdom of God. And a lot of times we look at the boundaries that are set before us and we think, but I can, and not necessarily thinking about what the consequences might be. And sometimes, when we think about the consequences, that's enough, right? 
You know, I've been thinking a lot about this question, why do we obey? Sometimes we obey just to avoid punishment. Lizzie doesn't have that part in her. Like, she doesn't care. You can punish me if you want to. I can go out the back door. I have that ability, and I can exercise it whenever I want to. But typically... We might just obey to avoid punishment. Sometimes we obey to provide an ordered society to live in. You know, I think of speed limits and stop signs. If everybody decides, I don't need to pay attention to that red light, it'd be a mess, right? Crosswalks, nah, that's for other people. I can just drive right through it. Sometimes we obey to show deference or respect to the the lawgiver, to somebody who made the rules, who gave us the command. Because I respect you, I will do what you want me to do. Um, You know, I think of myself as a student in school. I often did what my teacher wanted because I respected the teacher. Not always. I got to be honest. But often, we obey just as as a sign of respect, common courtesy even. Sometimes we obey just because it's easier to get along and to go along. Uh, You know, if you think about kind of the unwritten social rules that we have, sometimes we obey those just because it's easier to go along with the flow of our culture than to kind of buck the trends, to stand against what everybody else is doing. Sometimes that's difficult. The problem with all of those motivations for obedience is they really fall short. They, they, they might show an outward compliance, but none of them have anything to do with our heart. And we end up living in a culture where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. When it's convenient for me, I'll obey what you say I should obey. When what you tell me I should do goes along with what I want to do, then I'll do what you tell me. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. In the book of Judges, we see example after example of how that mentality is a mess. That way of living leads to all kinds of problems for individuals and for societies as a whole, for the nation of Israel and for us. And so following the book of Judges, we find the law that they had been given becoming even more and more systematically enacted. And they they developed this system built around the tabernacle and then around the temple of interacting with God based on compliance to the law. And a lot of times the nation of Israel's motivation for obedience was not really a heart motivation. It was to avoid punishment, to provide an ordered society, or because it's just easier to do. This is just the way we do things here. But it wasn't enough. And the people's hearts grew very far from the God who loved them. Jesus came into a world where his people were kind of stuck between Stuck isn't quite the right word. 
But they were living in this space between the temple and the culture, the empire. See, the Jewish system centered around the temple said, comply with these rules and God will be pleased. The empire, the Roman empire, their system of law said, you just do what the emperor tells you to do or else because we're stronger. You obey or you will be punished. And Jesus spoke to people that lived in that tension between those two things because the, the temple and the empire rarely agreed on what should be done, on what should be priority. And so the people that Jesus lived with, walked with, talked with, they lived in that space being pulled both ways. And Jesus provides something better, not only for them, but for us, because we live in that system too. We live in that tension between a religious system of compliance and a cultural empire that has very different values than that system. Jesus provides a third way, a better way, between the temple and the empire. And he does this incredibly by raising the bar of obedience and also reducing the law to one simple thing. We've talked the last several weeks about how he raised the bar. You know, it's not that hard to not murder somebody, right? But it's pretty hard to forgive sometimes. It's pretty hard to make amends, to not hold a grudge. It's not that hard to not steal something from somebody. But when my car breaks down, it's really hard not to covet yours, right? We had a crazy week this week. Shane talked a little bit about the suck. I think he might have been pointing at me a couple times. I'm not sure. We had that week. Um, Monday morning started really early for me. Um, I came in, had the, we have an annual staff evaluation, which it wasn't that painful. Um, we do that because we want to get better as a staff, each of us. This week was my turn, so I came in and sat down and talked with the elders and you know, here's how I'm doing, here's what I need to do better, what else do I need to do better, um, that kind of stuff. The staff evaluation type of things that everybody has in most jobs where they actually care about your development. You, you have these. Um, that was Monday morning. I came in and we, we did that. That went fine. Left that, went, went through the, meet, the, the morning. We had our normal Monday morning staff meeting where, again, we evaluate things because we, we want to get better. Um, we want to continue to grow. We also want you to continue to grow. That's why we do things like the Tuesday, afternoon, or the Tuesday morning Q&A, because that provides us and you a chance to dig into what we're talking about on Sundays a little more deeply, um, and all of us to grow together. So Monday morning, fine, everything's okay. Went home, had lunch. Um, came back to work. Actually, I wasn't even back to work yet, and I got a call from Luann that said the dryer is not working. It won't turn on. Um, it'll turn on, but it won't start the cycle at all. So I'm thinking, great, what's wrong with the dryer? So I stopped back at the house, started tearing into the dryer, and discovered there's lots of parts in there that I'm not going to be able to fix. 
and it might be this one, it might be that one. It might, I knew one was wrong, so I, I got that, got a replacement ordered, and later in the week got that part fixed. Didn't fix the problem yet, but I've eliminated a couple possibilities. So that was, that was Monday afternoon. I spent most of the afternoon tackling that. Um, sat down to supper, evening time, probably about 9 o'clock, maybe shortly before 9 o'clock, I get a call. Emily was driving home from eastern Nebraska. She's been doing an internship out there all summer. Um, and this is the first that she's been back since a long time ago. So we were excited to have her back. And we knew where she was on the route and knew about when she should be getting there. She was about an hour and a half away, we were figuring. And the phone rings. And I answer the phone and I hear, um, I have a problem and that's not what you want to hear from your daughter when she's a couple hundred miles away driving across the highway. Um, and then, yeah, I won't go into lots of detail, but then the next words out of her mouth were, I was, I'm, I'm past Ogallala and my wheel just fell off. Also not what you want to hear from your daughter when she's driving across the state alone at 9 o'clock at night. And so, yeah, she's driving along. She said, I felt it start to wobble, and so I started to slow down, and then I just saw my wheel going off in the ditch. Yeah, it's been that week. Jesus speaks to people in that week. See, when that happens, it's easy for me to say, I wish I had that car. It's easy for me to covet that vehicle. It's easy not to steal one. But Jesus raises the bar much higher than, where are we at on this side? You shall not steal. He says, don't covet. So, end of that story, the car's fixed, it's okay, she's okay, everything's good. Um, as Jesus raised that bar and reminded me this week how he raised that bar, I realize it's not just about behavior, it's about heart. And that really comes out when you see how Jesus not only raises the bar of compliance to the law, beyond really what the law just said, he also reduces the law to one simple thing. If you have the Bible app out and you looked at the event that we have already set up, you already know what the answer is, and you, you might know what the answer is already anyway. Because Jesus reduces the law to one simple thing. Not an easy thing, but a simple thing. In Matthew seven twelve, he says, Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. The essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Do to others what you would have them do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. He rephrased it another time when somebody asked him what's the greatest law. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that that was actually the second law that was like the first law that was love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
what would the world be like if we just treated people the way we want them to treat us? That's a kingdom that people will want to be a part of. That's not the empire that says, obey me or else. It's not the temple that says, obey so that God will be pleased. That kingdom where everyone is loved is the kingdom that people will give everything to be a part of. It is that pearl of great price that Shane talked about last week that people will give everything to obtain. Because, guys, people want to be loved. We are made to be loved. And when we're not loved or when we feel that we're not loved, we desperately seek that out in any way we can. And we have a world that is desperately seeking that out in very destructive ways. What if they could find the love that they're looking for right here with us? What if, what if they could find the love that they're looking for at your house, in your neighborhood? What if they could? And why don't they? Now, I know I, I don't want to heap a bunch of guilt on us today. Because the bottom line is, a lot of times people look right past the way that we love them to try to fill that need in ways that they think will be more enjoyable, ways that they, they think, this is what I really want. But I wonder sometimes if we, we lean too far into either the temple or the empire and say, Follow the rules or else when what we could be doing is resting in the kingdom and loving our neighbor. Jesus adds a little more here. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That's by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And, and remember last week as we talked, and really the last several weeks, it's not only the actions, but also what is behind the actions. What is motivating that good fruit? What is motivating actions? See, sometimes the world offers what looks like love that is only a favor exercised in order to gain another favor. Like, I will love you so that you will transactionally love me back in some way. I will do this for you so that you owe me one. And then when it's convenient for me, I'll call in that favor. See, that's not really the love that Jesus is talking about. That's not the fruit that Jesus wants us to produce. This isn't a deal that he's trying to make. 
He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. See, Jesus wasn't as concerned with the miracles and the casting out demons and all this stuff that they said they were doing in his name, but he was concerned with their heart. He said, I I don't know you. The Old Testament prophets said their hearts are very far from me, and so I've rejected what they have to offer, what they are offering. I hate all your shows. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my son who who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. See, the, the foundation that we build our lives on can't just be compliance because we're afraid of punishment. It, it, it's not just to provide an ordered society. Our obedience to Christ should be motivated by our love of Christ. Our love of Christ should motivate us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to treat people the way we want them to treat us. That operates in every venue. That works in your neighborhood. That works when the cashier is a little bit slow. That works when the customer is a little bit rude. That works when the lady in the back of the line behind you is just so loud and obnoxious and just getting too close. It works when there's no lane open. See, loving your neighbor really is the application. It really is the law in action is loving your neighbor. That's how simple Jesus made it. The essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets is to love your neighbor. So Jesus, who's my neighbor? We're not going to tell that story this morning. But Jesus shocked his listeners when he told them that your neighbor is the person that you naturally want to hate. See, the Jews that Jesus was talking about, they didn't mix with the Samaritans that Jesus was going to point to. They were the outcasts. They were the half-breeds, the gross. We don't do anything with them. We wish they weren't even here. Jesus said, they're your neighbor. Go and love them. 
We live in a world today where people want to separate, where we want to have our close-knit family or our family of friends, our clan, so to speak. And we want to reserve the right to separate from everybody outside that. We want to listen to the voices on Facebook that say the things that we want to hear and ignore all the other ones. We want to turn on the radio station talk shows and hear the ones that we like that say what we already think and ignore all the other ones. We want to turn on that channel and hear their perspective on the day's news and ignore all the other ones. And whatever that channel is for you. We also want to be a place where each of us in this room probably identifies that a little bit differently. You might be a fan of the talk show host that the other guy across the room can't stand. We don't share all the same political or social perspectives. And that doesn't matter. Because Jesus is teaching us to love our neighbors, and we're putting that into action in this body. And I want to make sure that we remember we also need to put that into action as this body, outside of this body. Our neighbors who aren't in this room desperately need to be loved. In the book of Galatians, we find a church that um, had some struggles putting this together. See, in the early church, uh, there were Jewish people who had determined to follow Jesus and become Christians. And then there were Gentile people who had determined to follow Jesus and be his disciples. And up to that point, the Jews and Gentiles stayed separate. They didn't have a lot to do with each other, at least as much as they wanted to. They stayed separate. And Christ tore down that dividing wall that kept them separate when he fulfilled the law. When he reduced the law to the command to love your neighbor, and then he said, oh yeah, by the way, those people that you hate, that's your neighbor. He obliterated that wall. And that was difficult for the first century church to deal with. They had to figure out, okay, now how am I supposed to love this guy that I can't stand? How am I supposed to love this class of people or this group of people that I don't have anything in common with and I don't want to have anything in common with. I'm a, I'm a soccer guy. How am I supposed to love the baseball people? That's a ridiculous example, by the way. So in Galatians 5, this is what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You see, there were some Jewish Christians in that city 
who wanted to tell the Gentile Christians that before they could really be disciples of Jesus, they first had to become Jews. Like they weren't Jewish enough to be Jesus followers because they knew what we sometimes forget. Jesus was a Jew. So Jesus in all his Jewishness says, I have fulfilled this law that has defined our people for centuries. Come follow me. Go and love your neighbor. Gentiles wanted in on that. And some of the Jewish Christians wanted to put a roadblock in front of that and say, wait, 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 wait. Before you can be one of us disciples, you first have to become one of us Jews. So you have to, you have to learn the law. You have to obey the law. You have to follow the law, which is a lot more involved than here's 10 rules you have to follow. So Paul is reminding those people, Christ has set us free. So don't get trapped into a compliance-based relationship with God. That's what the law was. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, that was the sign of entry into the law relationship with God, that covenant. He said, if you're counting on that, you have to obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You are running the race so well. Who's held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing these false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, then why am I being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. So far, you might be thinking, well, that list is, you know, I don't have a problem with those things, but hold on. Because the results of trying to live a life where you try to make yourself right in the eyes of God by doing what you think is right also are hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. Oh, stuff like that that we all wrestle with. That's the fruit of living my life under my own power. That's the fruit of trying to follow the law and keep God happy by my compliance. See, my self-righteousness falls far short of the standard that Jesus set. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. See, Paul, like Jesus, jumps right past all the visible compliance right to the heart. Are we loving? See, if I follow the Spirit, the fruit of that is love for my neighbor, for you. There's enough to go around. We don't have to be stingy with it. We don't have to reserve it for the people that we like. We get to share it with everybody. Next month, we are going to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the church at Bryant moving out to this location and becoming Westway Christian Church. 25 years. I didn't live here in town then, but I have vague recollection of we had moved away just before that, and I, I have these vague memories of the friends that I had here at Westway who were so excited about their new building and this new tool that they had to use to invite people to participate in the kingdom of God. And, and they did that by loving their neighbors. If they didn't, none of us would probably be here. Now, as I look across the room, I know that some of you we're here on that day. But I also know that many of you had no idea that day was happening. Because many of you at that point, well, some of you didn't live here. Some of you lived in town but had no idea what Westway was. Some of you were neighbors and friends of the people that were here that day. And as they loved, you were drawn in. 25 years ago or sometime in that span. I think about that, and it makes me wonder, who will be here 25 years from now? 
when somebody stands up here and they say, it's been 50 years since we moved out to this location, who's going to be here? A lot of us won't be. Some of us will be home. Some of us will have new homes in other towns. Some of us will still be here. You know, I think about the younger set of kids that's up there with Joe. They're going to be leading this church on the foundation that we build for them. I want to make sure that we're building it on something solid. Because this house does not need to be built on sand. It needs to be something, it needs to be built on something that's solid. As solid as the perfect love of Jesus Christ filling me so fully that it spills out onto my neighbor. Filling you so completely that it pours out into your neighborhood. Into the places where you work. Into the schools where you teach and learn. Yes, you learn. But if we join in the fallacy to which the Galatians seem to be prone, we will make it increasingly difficult for the next generations to see kingdom living in the church. And they will increasingly choose not to participate. See, what those kids that are up there with Joe need right now they need to see you loving your neighbor. They need to see you reaching across cultural and social boundaries and loving people. I don't mean knocking on doors and telling people that Jesus loves them. That might be what he asks you to do. I mean... Every neighborhood has, you know, that house that everybody kind of looks away as they drive by because the grass is a mess. The shutters are falling down. The gutters are falling down. Maybe that person needs you to love them on behalf of Jesus more than they need you to go and tell them the rules that this says they should follow. Now, don't get me wrong. This does say there's some things that they should follow. But I think too often we lead with that. Maybe we could lead with fixing gutters and cutting grass. See, when we lead with love, I think we show a kingdom that helps people find a way that's better than forced compliance to the empire or coerced compliance to the temple. The whole law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor. And you've been set free for the sake of freedom to love your neighbor. You haven't been set free by Jesus for the sake of achievement and gaining a perfect record. You haven't been set free by Jesus for the sake of not reaching, or not for the sake of reaching an unattainable status as a super disciple. He hasn't set you free for the sake of self-righteousness and pursuing that on your own power. He has set you free so that you can live a life guided by the Spirit of God to love the people who God has put in your life. So walk by the Spirit. 
Who's going to be here in 25 years? I think it's whoever finds this. Whoever looks in and, and has a peek at Westway, whoever sees that little bumper sticker on your car and recognizes in you a piece of a community of disciples that are participating in kingdom living by loving our neighbor, that's who's going to be here 25 years from now. When the world looks at the church and they don't see any difference, why would they be interested? When we treat everybody around us just like everybody else around us treats everybody around us? Why would everybody around us be interested in what we have going on? Jesus reduced a lot of one thing that will make all the difference in the world. I read all kinds of books and see all kinds of headlines about how this next generation is wandering so far struggling to find their way. They don't have room in their lives for the church. And there's all kinds of statistics and what I would say are flawed studies to tell you how bad things are. But I want to tell you, the students that I see, they are latching on to the love of Jesus and they're running with it and they're sharing it. Because you've showed them how. For a lot more than 25 years, you've showed them how. You showed me how when I was 12 years old. Some of you in this room were the adults that I saw as a junior high kid loving people who weren't like you. And I wondered why. And I found out why. Continue to walk by the Spirit. And love your neighbor. Because what the next generation needs to see is a community of disciples that are participating in kingdom living by loving those outside of our walls, outside of our circle. Loving them. That's who will be here in 25 years. The people that find that. Let's make sure that everybody that can finds it and finds it here.